this is ContraZoom, where we go back and forth about film. I'm your host, Dakota Arsenault, and today's episode is presented by Aesthetic Magazine. The Toronto International Film Festival ran from September 5th to the 19th this year, and we here at ContraZoom managed to snag some press passes and see a few movies. We're going to talk about what we saw, the award winners, and what this means for Oscar season. Joining me today is Stephanie Pryor. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I am doing excellent. We're going to talk about TIFF. This was uh, our first time really going to it. I had been and seen a few movies here and there before, but never in such a condensed manner like this. And this was really your first time going at all. Um, How was it for you? It was very exciting. Uh, My first TIFF experience happened to actually be a world premiere. So there was quite a lot of buzz around it, and I was hooked immediately. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. It was a lot of fun. Uh, it was your, your typical TIFF experience with the red carpet and press and stars and guests and people screaming at people. And <laughs> it was a whole lot of things going on all at once. Uh, but we are going to talk in order of what we saw. Uh, so the first thing we're going to start out with is actually a short film. It's called No Crying at the Dinner Table. It was directed by Carol Nguyen. Uh, and if you listen to the last episode of ContraZoom, you will have heard my interview with Carol talking about the film, how it was made, and, and all that sort of great stuff. I also spoke with Craig Prater, the president of Heartland Film. So if you haven't checked that episode yet, please make sure you do. But this is a short documentary that played during the Shortcuts program in Section 8 of the festival. It had two screenings. And it really was uh, about Carol interviewing her her two parents and her sister talking about grief and feelings of loss that the family has gone through, but has sort of neglected to actually share with each other. So it's really the first time they're all sharing their experiences. And it's a really sort of intimate and sad and heartbreaking film. What did you think of it? Yeah, I thought it was really well done. And it had a, a quiet intimacy that really, I think went well and reflected well with the subject matter i thought also the cinematography was excellent this is a this is a movie that i don't know if it was actually shot on film but it definitely has that feel to it It has a nice warmth to it there's a little bit of graininess to it but it's really well done uh nice little score to it as well it's a good little composed film and one that makes me really curious and excited to see what carol is going to do next in her career Mm -hmm. um now As far as actual full-length movies that we saw, the first one that we saw was the documentary There's Something in the Water. It was directed by Ellen Page and Ian Daniel. And this is what we were talking about at the top of the show, talking about a real TIFF experience. This was the world premiere of the film. No one had seen it yet. We saw it at the Elgin Winter Garden Theater uh, packed house. Uh, Both Ellen and Ian were there on hand to introduce the film, and then afterwards they came out again, they did a QA, and a and this movie revolves around uh, what it means to uh, have environmental racism in the country, and that term is specifically in regards to the fact that oftentimes in poor minority or indigenous communities, Uh, That is where some of the worst environmental issues are occurring because there are things like companies dumping uh, toxic waste into the water systems or not taking care of the land and having really bad landfills that are sort of infecting everything. And then after the movie was over, um, the movie predominantly features women telling their stories and how the communities that they live in are being affected, and and all those women were on hand and came out on stage to join in the Q&A. It was a really powerful Mm -hmm. movie and moment. Uh, How did you feel about it? Yeah, I thought it was very interesting and very eye-opening, the the film. Being a Canadian and someone who lives in a heavily populated city, maybe it's just the privileged side of my upbringing, but you don't think of this stuff happening like in your own backyard, in your own country. So to, to learn that it's happening in Canada, affecting all these different communities, and they have no help or seems that no one seems to care, it was very disheartening to learn about a, a country that you think is so much more further advanced mm-hmm. than that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I would say that this movie 
is just a very traditional documentary. And I don't mean that in insult in any way. It's just a simple shot, reverse shot, telling a story of what's happening. There's some minor uh, inserts where there'll be um, news footage and older interviews and things like that. But for the most part, it's a very straightforward film. There's no special conceits. It's not really changing the documentary format at all, which I think is what this movie needs. This movie is just about facts and telling a story and presenting it to us, and we don't need fancy tricks. But if you're going in expecting to see some sort of, you know, game-changing documentary as far as the actual format goes, this isn't it for it. Right. Uh, But I think that what it does do beautifully is introducing you to these women in these communities, and I love just following them in their day-to-day and going around the community and, and them sharing their story and actually being there almost for like feels like firsthand seeing what they're going through and and witnessing through their stories and their their trials what's going on i think it speaks to the fact that nowadays if you want all you need is a couple dslrs uh, some microphone packs and a tripod and you can make a documentary if your subject is compelling enough and you know they they don't try to hide the fact that this is you know a very bare bones sort of operation that they're walking around holding the cameras themselves with nothing fancy going on there's a there's a couple really interesting shots where i'm not sure if they use drones or something like that where it's pulling back and showing this polluted water and, and how it's affected but for the most part it's it's a very simple just camera interview subject talking head sort of thing this isn't going to be the type of film that is probably going to be nominated for any sort of awards or you're not going to see it at the oscars but it tells such an important story that it might not be the the last time that some people see it i I really hope this does get a bit of a wider release and, and some recognition it deserves yeah me too the next film that we covered was actually jojo rabbit which actually i ended up seeing on my own Um, you weren't able to come for that. But I went and saw that, and it was a press screening in uh, Scotiabank Theatre, and it was actually in the IMAX Theatre, which was really cool to see. Um, The premiere happened, I believe, the night before that I saw it, or or two days before. But going into the film, there was already mixed reactions, and I was unsure because this was my most anticipated movie of the year. I love Taika Waititi. Everything he seems to do is gold for me. And I went in, and it was perfect. This is a movie that hits on so many different things. It's billed as an anti-hate satire, and that's exactly what it is. And some people reading critic reviews talk about how instead of offering us real satire, it just gives you hugs and things like that, and saying things like they're too sympathetic to Nazi figures and what have you, and I'm just baffled at how these people watched this movie and came away with that reaction the comedy is obviously there uh there this isn't the first time there has been a a comedy about you know nazi era germany of course there there's stuff like the producers there's uh charlie chaplin's the great dictator you could even include um, uh, a wes anderson film uh in there as well um in grand budapest hotel so there, there's definitely a history of this making fun of Nazis, and so it shouldn't be that unusual of a, of a trope or a genre or however you want to call it. And most of the humor, sorry, the humor, like all good humor, it's punching upwards, not punching downwards. And so there are some jokes where it is clearly at the expense of people being targeted in the film, but it's to point out the ridiculousness of the actual situation that was going on but this film has so much going for it it isn't just a comedy it also has a ton of heart and really great performances i would be remiss if you know i didn't point them all out because they're all so good scarlett johansson in one of her best roles and she already is a very strong actress and thomason mckenzie who uh, if you had seen leave no trace from last year you're probably familiar with her absolutely knocks it out of the park and I really hope is in contention for for best supporting actress and then of course you've got Taika Waititi playing Hitler himself which is uh fantastic and you know he talked about why he would do play such a character 
and he said because it's a, a huge f u to the guy because this is a person who is half Maori, which is indigenous New Zealand, and half Jewish, and you don't get more of an f u to fascism and Nazism than than someone like that, which is great. Um, Sam Rockwell is in fine, terrific form here with his uh, little follower played by Alfie Allen, which is terrific. Rebel Wilson shows up in a couple scenes and, and offers some real uh, hilarity to with her ridiculous over-the-topness. But the film centers around uh, a, a young actor named Roman Griffin Davis, who blew my mind. This is his first time appearing in a film and he does such a good job. He handles the weight, the emotion, the humor, everything that you could ask for in a lead character, but asking a child actor dude to do that is always so difficult to do. And so I was really impressed with what he did. A lot of people have been comparing it to uh, Wes Anderson's film uh, Moonrise Kingdom because a lot of it centers around youth scout going people. Obviously in, in Jojo Rabbit they are uh, Hitler youth scouts. And so there is some similarities there. I mentioned Grand Budapest Hotel. There's some similarities to that. But I would actually say the movie that it sort of reminds me the most of is something like uh, Death of Stalin, the, the Armando Iannucci film from last year, which is one of my favorites of the year. Uh, really straddles the line between being a horror film and being a comedy, you know, taking real world circumstances and blowing it out of proportion and you get to see both uh, both the comedy and the grotesqueness of these nature and all it takes is you know remove a laugh line from one bit and you get to see just how horrific that is and, and this is something that Jojo Rabbit really does as well um, and so it's been phenomenal obviously as, as it goes right now this this was the best movie I saw at the festival of the movies that I've seen this year, this is the best movie I've seen so far, narrowly edging out Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And I am currently working on my best films of the decade list, and I am seriously considering uh, inserting this film into that uh, as well. I'm, I'm probably gonna rewatch this when it comes out in theaters in October, and we'll probably decide from that. But this is an absolutely phenomenal film, one that I think people really need to see and has a really great message in it, uh, while delivering some really good laughs as well. So please check that out. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to talk more about films that we saw at TIFF 2019. What I love about Nicole, loving you. she's a great dancer, infectious. She is a mother who plays really plays she gives great presents she's competitive what are you kidding me she knows when to push me and when to leave me alone we should talk okay so now we're back and we're going to talk about uh, some of the other films that we saw uh, we went to a couple more press screenings uh, the first one being the laundromat which is the newest film from Steven Soderbergh uh, he has finally dropped the iPhone rig that he's been working on the last couple of, of movies with Unsane and High Flying Bird and is back to more of a traditional film that he, he does and it's a heist so it's following in the vein of Logan Lucky which came from a couple years ago a movie I absolutely loved and his Oceans movies of course it's a little bit more light-hearted there's quite a bit of comedy going on you've got some real over-the-top performances by Antonio Banderas and Gary Oldman and then Meryl Streep playing this dotting old grandmother figure uh, and it really seems to be in the vein of something like The Big Short where it's tackling the Panama Papers and the expose of this hidden world of elite wealth and how they cheat the system to win and all that sounds really exciting but this movie was a huge letdown. I was going in wanting this to be so much more in the trailer. Normally 
when I see a trailer, I have a really good ability to judge whether or not a movie is going to be good or not. And this movie, the trailer looked actually really good. It looked, it was very big, short-esque. And I was like, great, I'm all in on that. And I watched it and I couldn't have been more disappointed by this. Uh, do you feel similarly? Yeah, I definitely feel similar. Um, I think it just missed the mark. It had all the right elements. It, you know, was going for something very similar to like the big short, like you mentioned. And I think it just, it just missed it. And, which is unfortunate because it's, the cast is obviously amazing, but even with that, it, it, it couldn't help. And I thought while the acting was really well done, it kind of, it didn't do anything for me. So, I mean, what I liked about the big short is where, when it ta- when it broke the fourth wall and it was explaining things to you, you actually kind of really got it. And not even just when in those moments, but throughout the movie with such a complicated theme, they're like explaining to each other and, and building diagrams and you kind of understand it. I felt like in this film, it, it didn't go in depth enough or at least explain enough to me and it felt like it just kind of skimmed over everything and there was so much going on and so many different characters and scenes and elements that it just was a big jumble it, it was so bloated it broke it up the story up into chapters and so each chapter was kind of introducing a new set of characters and the more characters they introduced the further away from the actual plot it seemed to get i understand that it was trying to weave this giant world but everything that made the big short seem expansive and intimate at the same time, this completely lacked. This just seemed like it was just going on tangents and none of it ever connected back to something other than the fact that you'd get a, a witty quip by uh, Banderas and Oldman. And it was, it was just such a shame because you're, you're led to believe that it's all going to be kind of connected and then by the end of it, it just kind of fell on its face and the segments lasted way too long and uh, some of it didn't really land. You're going for comedy when the comedy isn't really landing. It's it's a really tricky thing to do when you're dealing with a subject matter where inherently the subject people are not sympathetic. So when you have people that you can't identify with, it's really hard to find their situations amusing or interesting, which is what was happening. Mm -hmm. And instead, the it seemed like the jokes were always on the people getting screwed over. Right. Which isn't funny as a viewer. You just kind of feel bad that everyone's sort of mocking them. And it's that's one of the issues. I, I mentioned it briefly in, in Jojo Rabbit, the difference between punching up and punching down in comedy. When you're punching up, it's easy to laugh at people. When you're punching down, you know, it's just pathetic. And like, why are you doing this? And Soderbergh's heart is clearly in the right place. But by the end of this movie, it got super preachy. And I don't really want to spoil the ending because there is a bit of a reveal that happens that you don't expect. But soon as the reveal starts to happen, you're just like, no, please don't go there. Yeah, and it just takes you out of it. It totally ruins whatever goodwill you might have had towards this movie and just completely kills it for me. Yeah, no, I feel the same way. I was like, I understood what what the purpose of this film was I understood what they that Soderbergh wanted to communicate to us as a viewer and the the issues that's that happened then and are still going on but then by the time the reveal happens you're like no 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 I got it already I was already on your side you don't have to go this route mm-hmm. but unfortunately it did mm-hmm. and it seemed like there was way too much green screen going on for a director as as talented as Soderbergh is it was this weird mix of he's trying to make it look like it's all just one sort of sandbox that he's playing in and you know you're switching out the parts the the actors or the the costume dressings but for the most part you know it's it's all in this one room basically but the CGI just looks so fake and cheesy in some moments that I just can't believe that that was a stylistic choice that they wanted to go for right i think maybe I don't know, he's been trying to do more lower budget films lately. Maybe that was just him trying to have his cake and eat it too by having a lower budget film, but then also have uh, these big movie stars in it and have more of his traditional older style feel to it. But it just, 
it just sort of all sort of backfires in the end. And, you know, going into this movie, there was talk about either Meryl Streep or Antonio Banderas getting Oscar nominations. And you walk out both of it and you're like, Antonio Banderas didn't do enough in this movie. Gary Oldman does a ridiculous German accent, which is a little bit funny at times, mm-hmm, but a mm-hmm. little too over the top. And, and Meryl Streep's character when you see it you'll understand why she's not getting a nomination mm. uh not to not to spoil too much but it was just, it was it was too much of everything and none of it worked yeah i it's unfortunate because i thought it started off really strong uh with the yeah, introduction first chapter. and then the the scene that you get with Meryl Streep and her husband and and friends but after that it just kind of, you i lost you lost mm-hmm. interest for me mm-hmm. for sure yeah absolutely yeah um, and then the last movie that we saw was Harriet, which was directed by Cassie Lemons, and it is a biopic of Harriet Tubman and her journey to uh, be a prominent member of the Underground Railroad after she escaped from slavery. And this was a movie that uh, was getting a ton of buzz before people had seen it. Its star Cynthia Revo got really good praise after her turn in Widows last year and she really was a highlight despite the fact that she has such a small part in that film and hearing that they're making this biopic about such an important figure you're like all right let's see what we got and it basically committed the cardinal sin of movie making and it's don't be boring and this movie was kind of boring Mm. oftentimes like I I don't want to I don't know how else to say it but the, the quote-unquote um, slave historical genre, uh, so stuff like um, 12 Years a Slave, uh, movies in that vein, you know you're going to get something that is emotionally heavy. There's going to be gut punches in it. You're going to feel terrible walking out or, or at least walking into it and hoping that there is at least some sort of uh, array of light in it. And then, of course, there's always going to be a bit of an allegory of racism of the past and how racism is still a factor today. And so you know sort of what vibe you're going to get when you go into a movie like this. And I walked out and I wasn't feeling really sad or heartbroken at any time. I normally cry during movies like this. I didn't cry at all. And so I'm just like, what sort of emotional feeling did I get from this? And I didn't really get any anything. Did you sort of have any emotional connection to it? Um, I Not entirely. I think there were moments that I thought were really good and I connected well with the characters and the stories unfortunately I think that the same hit same level and same concern is um, brought up several times too much so you're not getting a wide enough range of feelings and emotions because it seems to be a lot of it takes place of her going like um, escaping and then going back and then escaping and then going back. So you kind of get the same range of emotion every time she does it. Not, not, nothing of it feels more heightened or different enough for me. And I understand that's the story. Uh, and it is was a trial and had to have been terrifying. But when you're w- watching it and witnessing it as a, an audience member, there's just not enough difference for you to to keep your interest and to keep your concern Mm -hmm. because you're like oh i get it uh i know what's going to happen i know how she gets away because it's almost kind of the same escape every time Mm -hmm. and it a big problem with biopics for me is that it covers too long of a period and there were and there was just a lot of sort of flaws in the movie making aspect of, of trying to cram too much into too little of time and so you get this you know, you have to have certain elements. You have to set up the fact of her being a slave uh, and and how awful the conditions obviously are. And so you start doing that, and once you kind of get going into that, all of a sudden it switches pace and more being about her escaping and her uh, escaping to the north where uh, slavery has now been abolished up there. And so you're doing that, and it just sort of like... It, it cut short the the introduction where we, we understand her plight and then it goes into the escape and that kind of gets cut short too where it starts out really strong and then it's just like, and she's free now. 
Um, it, it just like went by too fast. And then she is living her life as a, a free woman in Philadelphia. And then she decides that she wants to uh, rescue her, her husband and her family members and her, the people that she lived with. And so she goes back down south. And then very quickly starts like just, as you're saying, we're just trying to do repeating the same beats over and over again. But each one was so short and then it ended up basically becoming a mockery of itself by sh by transitioning it into an actual montage where one character who helps run the, the uh, Underground Railroad from Philadelphia literally falls off of his chair in a very groan-inducing moment where you're just like, ugh, you're, like, you're literally inserting slapstick humor into this. And the humor obviously does not work because this is not a funny movie because right. it's not supposed to be. Yeah. And then you're also cutting sort of any sort of tension you feel as a viewer uh, by, you know, just fast forwarding through everything and then trying to have this gag. So it's like you you can't do both at the same time. You can't insert the slapstick and expect to have it uh, a heavy emotional connection. Yeah, I think it wasn't hard hitting enough uh, to begin with. And I understand that you need some sort of um, emotional relief albeit like through humor or through something, anything mm -hmm. to, to lighten it up. But it just seems so misplaced and out of left field. And I think it was because it wasn't serious enough, mm -hmm. you know? So with it being moderately serious in tone and then injecting those slapstick moments, you're like, well, this am I supposed to feel any emotion here other than... Like, am I supposed to be laughing? Mm -hmm. It's kind of confusing. So, I don't know. It didn't work for me. And then there's also this weird aspect. I don't want to kind of reveal too much about it. Um, but but safe to say that uh, religion plays a huge role in this film, uh, especially with, uh, with Harriet's beliefs. And uh, we are led to believe that she is able to maybe not necessarily communicate directly with God, but uh, she has visions. she has these visions. And, and I don't want to sort of say too much about it, uh, but it is safe to say that it her religion guides her to safety and that's what keeps her alive during this arduous task of both uh, freeing herself and helping to free others. But I don't get what happens because... Several characters basically are extremely dismissive of her visions in her relationship with religion to the point where every time it happens, you're just like, all right, well, I'm just waiting for a character afterwards to kind of make some sort of snide comment or something like that. And, and so it's, you know, I, I've said this now with, about both of these movies, The Laundromat and Harriet, about having your cake and wine to eat it too. If you're wanting to make a movie like this that is so deeply steeped in religion, you can't have characters also mocking it at the same time. And so instead of it either being one or the other of just being like, all right, this is a woman who, due to circumstances that are revealed, uh, maybe isn't all there at all times, then you can approach it from that angle and understand where that's coming from. Or if you want to make it strictly more of a, a, a pure religious experience, you got to have it one or the other. You can't have it both ways because it just sort of negates both. Right. No, I agree with you there. I kind of wish there were moments when she's having these visions where it almost feels like a flashback. Mm -hmm. And I like that aspect of it because it felt more of like a memory or like it was more serious and more real. But then when it, when it's intercut with the with like seeing her fainting or feeling light and the camera kind of goes in and out and it's disorienting it doesn't feel as serious or real mm -hmm. so i think there was maybe just some style choices that could have been changed that would have made it a little bit more better too so let's talk a little bit about the performances in this film. Cynthia Erivo was billed as a front runner for the best actress race. And then you have Janelle Monet, who is a fantastic actress in her own right, appearing in movies such as uh, Moonlight and Hidden Figures. And then you also have the very talented Leslie Odom Jr., who's mostly known for his theater work. Um, what did you feel about their three performances? Are we expecting to maybe see them come up in Oscar time? Um, I wouldn't be surprised, um, if Monet or, uh, Cynthia got um, nominations, 
because of like the weight of what this film is going to bring with it and usually unfortunately those categories aren't as uh wealthy in picks mm-hmm. but um i wish there was more danelle Monet personally only because i love her and her acting but i think again in her role it could have been more serious it could have gone deeper into her character and her connection um, with harriet because it's kind of glossed over and then again without spoiling anything when that relationship comes to an end you don't really feel the heavy yeah you don't feel the heaviness of, it. Mm-hmm. of what what it should be or what they are presenting it to be so i think that was a miss i think cynthia did like a great job and i mean i like her too i really liked her in widows but um again it just didn't hold enough weight to it and maybe it was just more of the movie as a whole her performance was still good but not enough to carry the film so i think it it was she could potentially be uh, a a nominee but i think there's going to be stronger performances out there yeah obviously we haven't seen everything yet if though the two of them specifically end up getting nominations at this point uh, i wouldn't be super disappointed but it also would sort of depend on if it means their inclusion is at the cost of someone who maybe does a bit of a better job in a smaller film that isn't as widely seen, right. which is, you know, sort of often the case where I, I don't know if you feel the same way. You look at the nominations, especially in the, in the acting categories, and you look at like the people who probably were like the fourth and fifth added to the category and you're just like, oh, I'd love to swap you out for someone yeah, yeah, yeah. in a movie that no one saw. 100%. That happens every year. I'm like, why is this person? And then you look at like maybe a long list that you, that you see and you're like, this person should have been mm-hmm. taking this slot. This, not this actor or actress. Mm-hmm. That definitely happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so that wraps up the, the movies that we saw at TIFF. Uh, make sure you you check them out. Uh, the Laundromat's going to be playing on Netflix, I believe. Isn't yes, it is a Netflix. Oh no, it's an Amazon film. It's one of them. It's going to be pretty easy to find. Harriet's going to be in theaters. Jojo Rabbit's going to be in theaters. There's something in the water. There isn't exactly a clear release schedule for that yet. How that's going to work out? Because when we saw it, literally they had just finished uh, editing it like the week prior. Um, but go check out the movies that we've been talking about. Uh, we're going to take another short break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about news about what Tiff was at the end of it. Here's Marshal Jojo. You're a top man. Prepare to leave the house. Today, you boys will be involved in such activities as war games, <laughs> ambush techniques, and blowing stuff up. I don't think I can do this. Russ. Of course you can. When I was your age, I had an imaginary friend. Got me in so much trouble. Kids, it's time to burn some books. So I think the biggest thing that sort of needs to be talked about is the fact that there was no press screenings for Netflix, Amazon, or digitally released films. Uh, being shown. All the press screenings were either at the Tiff Bell Lightbox or at the Scotiabank Theatre. And it just so happens that the president of Cineplex, who owns Scotiabank Theatre, obviously, uh, is a board member on TIFF. And so due to basically saying, I don't want my competition screened, um, there was only uh, public screenings. There was no press screenings, which it's, you know, Upcoming in my next episode, I'm going to be doing some interviews with uh, composers, and one of them was the composer for The Report, the new Adam Driver movie, that is going to be playing on Netflix, and uh, they didn't have a press screening for it. Uh, we saw The Laundromat, um, but that was screening at Tiff Bell Lightbox. We didn't see that at Cineplex at the Scotiabank Theatre. And so it was just such a, a bit of a, you know, sort of, old man yells at the clouds instance where this fight is still going on and is still so frustrating that 
there is not a better way to accommodate this. And the fact that someone so powerful is able to control what films are not being screened in a festival Mm. just blows my mind. And it makes me very angry. Yeah. I mean, it's something that's not going away. It's not going to like by not allowing press screenings of um, digitally released films, that's not going to make any kind of impact really Mm -hmm. to the film. Like, how many subscribers are there to Amazon and Netflix and all these new um, screening services that are popping up and coming out that gets people excited. So things are still going to be watched and going to be found. And I think it's just, it's kind of a silly thing to have done. But And like, I'm going to be real. I love film festivals. I love movies. I usually watch smaller films. Uh, I guarantee you, and pick a random Netflix or Amazon film out that was at TIFF, they're going to get more people watching it than just about 90% of the films screened at TIFF. Right. You know, you've got your big, huge premieres with your celebrities coming out and things like that, uh, and the future Best Picture nominees and things like that. But for the most part, these are much more smaller films, and it I feel like they're really doing a disservice to the film community by trying to artificially handicap them. Right and make films only that potentially will be screened at Cineplex movie theaters is uh, is, is not a, a pleasant way of, of looking at the industry where we're supposed to be celebrating the arts of all forms and not, yeah. not putting a limit on it. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, on to more happier things. We have the People's Choice Award winners. Um, the... It's such a big deal at TIFF. It's it's basically become the best indicator of how the Oscar race is going to turn out. And uh, and this year's winner was actually Jojo Rabbit. So you heard me talk about it earlier. And now uh, it ended up winning the People's Choice. And the way People's Choice winners work is when you buy tickets for the films, you are allowed to then vote on it. And then it's weighted. It's a weighted score based on how many screenings and seats there were available that people end up voting for. It. So obviously, you know, Jojo Rabbit had multiple screenings in the biggest theaters. So you think that might have been an advantage, but it just meant that on a percentage basis, more people that saw Jojo Rabbit voted for it compared to other films. And then the runners-up were the Noah Baumbach film Marriage Story, and then the Bong Joon-ho film Parasite, which actually won the Palme d'Or at Cannes as the top film from that festival. So you've got three films that really look like they're probably going to be front runners for the Oscars. I don't think Jojo Rabbit will really be a true best picture contender but it'll probably get the nomination I don't know about YTT for director um, maybe for screenplay because it can fit there I'd love to see maybe some of the actors I talked about Thomas and Mackenzie as supporting actress that would be great uh, other than that I am not too sure exactly where it might slot in at the Oscars marriage story I think is is the real winner of this trio Noel Baumbach uh, got rapturous praise for this film uh, it's the story of a family that seemingly has a, a good marriage starring Scarlett Johansson and Adam Driver but the conceit is that they're actually going through a divorce um, and so this looks like to be a real front runner for both actor and actress, probably for picture, potentially for director, screenplay. This movie is probably going to be all over the Oscars this year, which is really exciting. And we actually have a bit of a, a funny story about that. Uh, when we were at seeing There's oh, Something yeah. in the Water, it was actually the premiere. We were in the Elgin Theater, and uh, there's two theaters in there, Elgin and Winter Garden. And the Winter Garden was the premiere for a uh, marriage story that happened maybe half an hour before There's Something in the Water happened. Yeah, uh, yeah. I was excited to be in the same building as Adam Driver. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I kept a close eye on you on that yeah. night. <laughs> Um, and then the third one was Parasite, which uh, looks like to probably be a front runner for best foreign language film, uh, especially since word has come out about some of the other uh, big foreign films this year not being selected by their countries. So this looks like to be the biggest name foreign film of the year. It's really hard to tell uh, who's going to win foreign film, but I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Bong Joon-ho, who has worked in Hollywood as well on English language films like Snowpiercer, uh, maybe gets a bit more wider praise, sort of akin to last year, both uh, Roma and Cold War getting nominations outside of the foreign film category. 
which would be great. I am all for getting a more global look at the nominees. And so that's one that I'm really excited about. His films are basically impossible to put into a box genre-wise. And you watch this trailer and you don't know what's happening. <laughs> and they very explicitly talk about how you, you're not going to expect what is going to be shown to you. And you watch it and you're like, great, I think it's something. But in reality, I have no idea what it actually is, this is about. Is it a thriller? Is it a drama? Is it a comedy? Is it, it a bit like of a horror? Three? Yeah. yeah. Like I'm so excited to see this one based off the trailer. Um, actually, I want to see all three of these, but that one really, really want to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we actually tried to go and see Jojo Rabbit when it won the People's Choice Award. Uh, we tried to get tickets on the, the web portal, and as soon as they went live at 10.30, they were sold out. And then they didn't even announce the film until 1 o'clock that day, and finally they announced it, Jojo Rabbit. I loved it. You want to I see it. I super want to see it, yeah. And so we made the decision to, to go and line up and see if we can get in. And we get in line, and they're like, yeah, last year, how many people was it? About uh, 150. 150 we people that rushed it uh, were able to get in. And they counted us off as we arrived, and we were number 95, 96, yeah. something like that. And we're like, great, we're, we're gonna probably, make it. you know, like I, I put it at like a 90% chance we're going to get in. I'm yeah. not going to assume that we are, but it, the odds are looking good. And then... Uh, as the screening started opening, there were six different screenings, one starting every 15 minutes. The line started moving up bit by bit. We're like, all right, things are looking good. And then there, there was also screenings for uh, the Midnight Madness winner and the Best Documentary winner. And so a bunch of people left the line to go see that. And we're like, cool, we're like right around the corner. We're so close. And then uh, at 6 o'clock, we basically halted. And for the next hour, we didn't move at all. And I think our final number was about 75. So in reality, only about 25 people ended up getting in. 20 to 25 people actually yeah. got into the screenings that yeah. didn't have tickets from uh, the online portal. Yeah, and I think that has to do with the way they did it this year since they had the online portal. Last year, you know, nobody could set aside their tickets, get their tickets online, and then just show up when the screening was. You had to be there in line, and then you could get your tickets so I think there was more opportunity to, for those extra, say, 150 tickets, whereas those tickets were already taken online and people just were showing up for that. So there weren't a lot of no-shows or availabilities to get in. Mm -hmm. I had high hopes, though, because I figured, one, the tickets went online before they announced the movie. So I figured some people would probably be disappointed with the pick. Uh, they, they had either seen it before or they were hoping for something else and just didn't want to go. Or two, they tried to get tickets and then, you know, didn't try to figure out how they would actually get down there. And, you know, some people just by nature of attrition just wouldn't show up and things like that. And so based on those two things and the fact that it was also raining, that people maybe not want to go out, all that sort of stuff. I was like, great. You know, the odds are sort of in our favor, but for whatever reason, it really didn't. Yeah, it was disappointing for sure to stand in line for three hours and to have such high hope at the beginning and then it just like slowly dwindles and gets lower and lower and you're like you see you're watching the clock and you're like oh it's not it's gonna happen it's not gonna happen yeah yeah oh well uh yeah. next year we'll try again mm -hmm. um so also briefly kind of talk about the the best reviewed films at tiff yeah. and uh maybe what that means for the oscars so uh kind of in no particular order some of the best reviews that sort of came out of it was uh judy the judy garland biopic a Hidden Life, the latest film from Terrence Malick. A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, which is the Mr. Rogers film directed by Marielle Heller. Pain and Glory, the new Pedro Almodovar film. Joker, uh, directed by Todd Phillips, starring Joaquin Phoenix. The Two Popes, directed by Fernando Marseille, uh, which stars um, Anthony Hopkins and Jonathan Price. Uh, Knives Out, the new Ryan Johnson murder mystery caper hustlers uh directed by lorraine uh scafaria the jennifer lopez movie that's already out in theaters now and ford v ferrari directed by james mangold so those were the ones that other than the ones that we previously mentioned that one people's choice uh were the were the sort of the best reviewed and most buzzed about movies uh of those are there any that you want to see i definitely want to see the joker i was 
from the minute I saw the trailer, however long ago it was, I was like, yeah, that looks like a movie I want to see. I love Joaquin Phoenix. I think he's amazing. Um, and just the, the overall f- feel of that film looked like amazing. And I definitely wanted to see it. It got a little bit of lukewarm response from the TIFF, but I think overall it's going to be an amazing film. And I still want to see it. Um, so I'm very excited for that one. And I'm also excited to see Knives Out. It looks like a fun, interesting, just a, a good watch. I, you know, I'm, I'm so apprehensive about Knives Out because I love films in that vein where they're murder mysteries, things like that. It looks like it's got a good bend, blend of both comedy and thrillerness to it. Mm-hmm. But I was just so disappointed by The Last Jedi that mm-hmm. it makes me worried about Ryan Johnson. I do love his earlier films like uh, Brick and Looper. But I'm just ugh, a touch apprehensive. I think you have to take that film out of, you know, the catalog because it it gets lumped in with all the previ- like previous ones, the prequels and sequels, and it's its own story. It's not an original. It, there's already elements of that universe that you can't change or touch. So I'm not even going to look at that one. I'm going right. to assume that that's just a blip. Mm-hmm. Um, now... I wouldn't have ever thought that I want to see a movie about uh, two popes, <laughs> but uh, watching the trailer and, you know, especially considering the caliber of actors of the two of them, um, of Hawkins and Price, I'm really curious about this. It looks like there's a little bit of uh, comedy to it, a little bit of intrigue about, you know, instead of palace intrigue, it's uh, Vatican intrigue, <laughs> which kind of has me a little bit curious about it. Um and then, of course, I'm really excited to see A Hidden Life, the Terrence Malick film. I love Terrence Malick. I haven't really liked his last few movies, which have been um, so loose in the sense of that there's no real script or dialogue or anything going on. Rumor is that this is his sort of return to a more traditional structure and script. It's about uh, an Austrian man who is a conscientious objector to having to join uh, World War II uh, when, when Germany is controlling Austria. Uh, the reviews were that it is quite a long film, even by Malick's standards, uh, but it is still a, a, a really quality film by him. Um, and then I guess the last one that seems sort of interesting, I'm like I talked about earlier, I'm not a big biopic fan. Judy seems to be like a, a, a decent-ish biopic with a really strong performance by uh, Renee Zellweger, who is playing her, and she apparently got like a 10-minute standing ovation when the when the film screened at Roy Thompson Hall which I know you you really can't you, you have to take stuff like that with a grain of salt when you're at a festival because the the nature of the crowd is already more on your side than a traditional screening would be but by all accounts it sounds like this might be a decent one and it focuses strictly on the end of her career towards the end of her life which is always a bonus in my mind when you're doing a biopic if you if you take just a small segment of someone's life and sort of extrapolate what that meant for their whole life it's a lot more rewarding of a film yeah i'm excited to to witness her performance i've always been a fan of zellweger so I mean, I'll go see it. Yeah. Now, looking at all these movies, uh, what they might mean for for Oscar potential, as far as Best Picture, we're probably going to see A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, uh, potentially Joker, depending on how the wide release of that goes. Uh, even Knives Out, I could potentially see as that. And, uh, and Ford v. Ferrari definitely got really good reviews, despite the fact that I'm, I'm a little on the fence about that as well. The movie starring Christian Bale and Matt Damon as a, a race car driver and an executive um, for Ford. Um, so that's interesting ones. Obviously, I mentioned Renee Zellweger for, for Best Actress, probably Tom Hanks for Best Actor. Joaquin Phoenix is definitely going to get nominated for Best Actor. And then I wouldn't maybe, I would maybe not even be too shocked if one of the Popes end up getting nominated too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that happening. Mm-hmm. And uh, the ones that I mentioned before, Marriage Story, Parasite, Jojo Rabbit, all of those are probably going to be a contention. Maybe something from Harriet. I really don't think The Laundromat is going to be received well when it finally comes out. It's interesting. I was looking at reviews on Rotten Tomatoes and on Twitter and stuff like that. And there were quite a few critics that were quite positive about it but i have to feel that like when this movie is coming out wide it's gonna kind of get trashed 
Yeah, I mean, like you said, with the nature of the beast of a festival, there's a lot of buzz and excitement. So I think it can skew how you feel about a, a certain film. It might be they, if they wa- rewatched it, they might feel differently. But who knows? Mm-hmm. Yeah, speaking, yeah, like Joker in particular, it came out the week prior had its world premiere at the Venice Film Festival and it won the top prize there and then it comes to Toronto and you get similar praise but then you also get a lot of negative reviews yeah. about it and it's it's not even mixed like yeah it's good in some parts it's not so good in other parts it seems that people either love it or really don't care for it at all yeah so who knows with that movie and, and how that's going to do uh, but there you go. Those are all of our picks and things we saw at TIFF. Uh, it was an awesome time. I can't wait to go back again next year. You know, it's it really is like a drug. Now I understand why a uh, <laughs> friend of the show, Mahek Saeed, would always go out and see 20 plus films. I'd be like, how can you do that? Why, why would you even bother doing that? That's so many <laughs> movies. And then when you're doing it, I'm like, I saw two movies in one day. How come I'm not seeing more movies? Yeah, yeah. Definitely will maybe take a couple of vacation days next year so I can get somewhere in <laughs> i was just i wanted to see them all i wanted to go every day so, yeah yeah and especially when you're like you're in line and you're hearing other people talking about the movies yeah. that you saw when we were waiting in line for harriet i ended up chatting for a few minutes with a critic that was standing in front of me and he was kind of rattling off the, the things that he saw and what he thought about some of the movies and asking what i was seeing i was like oh i don't know i wish i had more things to say i don't <laughs> <laughs> yeah um well thank you so much for listening make sure you subscribe to the show you can find it on spotify apple Podcasts, anchor podcast addict wherever you get your podcast it's probably there uh, make sure you follow the show on twitter and instagram it is at contrazoompod or why don't you send me an email contrazoompod at gmail.com did you see anything at tiff is there any reviews that made you really excited for a certain film who are you thinking is going to be the, the contenders for Best Picture? Will Jojo Rabbit actually make the cut? Uh, I'd love to hear all your thoughts about it. Uh, this episode is presented by Aesthetic Magazine. Special thank you to Eric and Kevin Smale for making the theme music. And Stephanie, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, it's always a pleasure. All right. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>